So I was never someone that didn't want to work. I was just like, okay, no, I, I need to get a job. I remember I dropped out of college, no education. You liked winning, liked succeeding. What stops you from pushing beyond that glass ceiling? Actually, the person that can really help you is you, but you need to be able to listen to yourself. Sometimes we're just quick to take everything, take any opportunity that comes. And I've learned along the way, actually, it's not every opportunity you must take. I suffered abuse from someone from the church. That was one of my first kind of lessons in like how to protect myself and survive. He did lose it in that moment. He was hurting, but he took that hurt out on me. And I remember that was the night I thought I was going to die. Getting back up, it's not a sport podcast, this is a life podcast. This is a getting knocked down and getting back up podcast that we all go through in life, sporty or not. Now today's guest is a very, very special guest, Mitchell Greenaway. Mitchell Greenaway was actually my therapist for a long, long time. She knows a lot about me, probably too much that I really, really care to admit. But she's a lovely lady with a truly inspiring story herself. Mitchell was a teenage mother, no qualifications, high school dropout, and she's turned so many setbacks into becoming the powerful boss businesswoman that she is. Running multiple businesses, earning a lot of money, changing people's lives on a daily basis like she did mine. Mitchell's brave enough to talk about the sexual abuse that she suffered as a kid and how that's affected her later on in her life. I'm so proud of her for coming on and talking so candidly about her struggles. And I really hope that what she says, you can learn from and take inspiration from. So, it's time for it. Let's get stuck in. Mitchell Greenaway, welcome to the Getting Back Up podcast. First question for today, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Anthony. Thank you for having me. And um, this is new. This is uncomfortable, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's me being on the hot seat, which is good. different. But very different. It's very different. I'm I can tell by your grin, you're a little <laughs> bit awkward. Yeah, I'll get used to it. <laughs> Mitchell Greenaway, mother. Yep. Mentor. Yep. Psychotherapist. Yep. Um, life coach. Yep. You are a entrepreneur. Yep. Property investor. Um, aspiring property investor. Are you though? Are you aspiring? Well, I feel like I'm very new at this beginning part of this journey. Mm -hmm. I have got one property um, and I thank my granddad for helping me start that. Um, So it's just now I'm navigating through that new world. You taught me last year, you said words are very important. So let me, let's agree on this one. Let's let's, let's, let's let's find find the the common ground. (laughs) You said you're trying to get on that journey. Let me change it. Let me take the word try out. Yeah. You are getting on the journey. No, I am getting on the journey. Yes, you literally hit me with my own words. Yes. (laughs) And I'm glad that you was able to use that. No, exactly. I am on the journey. Um, And who I become on that journey is, I suppose when I say inspiring, I inspire to be someone that is very successful at property. And I think the end goal for property for me is to have children's homes. Mm. So initially I'm starting it um, to create this legacy, but also create a therapeutic space for young people. And I feel like this will help fund it if I get into that stream. Wow, that's amazing. 
So we know each other. So how, <laughs> you can answer, how do we know each other? So initially you came to me as a client. I did? Yeah, you came to me as a client. Um, we worked, it was through couples therapy, if you don't mind me of course. saying that. Um, and then that ended, that stream of support ended. And then um, we know you've, we've just then started like, I suppose, kind of coaching, mm. mentoring. Coaching, mixed in similar circles. Yeah. Um, essentially, you're my therapist or were yeah. my therapist. Let's yes, just, I let's was. Just, like... Yeah, I was your therapist, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you, <laughs> so there's probably, there's, there's, there's definitely one maybe two, possibly three people on the planet that knows more about me than you. Okay. Which in short means, you know, basically everything about me. Okay. So I feel like, I feel like I've got this little bit of power now where like I'm an auntie. <laughs> like I, I'm talking to you, I like seeing you squirm a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's quite, it's quite, um, this is quite a, an interesting uh, conversation to have. Mm -hmm. I'm the one asking you questions for once. Mm -hmm. um, but you have a really inspiring story. And this, this, this whole podcast, Getting Back Up, because... In life, we all get knocked down. Yeah. We all suffer setback. We all suffer adversity. And I mentioned it earlier. It's, it's about growing through that adversity yeah. rather than just going through that adversity. And it's called getting back up because I, for 18 years earned and living as a boxer, I got knocked down literally in the ring and metaphorically in my life through the things I've gone through. And when you get knocked down, I personally believe when you get knocked down, you have a choice. You can stay down and let the referee count you out or you can get back up yeah. and fight. And I've literally made a living of doing that and metaphorically made a living of, of, of getting back up from my adversities. Uh, I know you've been through an awful lot in your life mm -hmm. and you're still on your, your, your journey of growth. And I just think you're a really inspiring person, Mitchell. I think you are, you, yeah, you are, yeah. Like we went out for dinner, a bunch of us, uh, a few months ago, and then Nigel got sort of sitting around the table and yeah. say like, who we were and what we did. And you stood up and you said, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, and I'm now doing property. And I was like, wow, that's a really inspiring woman who's had lots of setbacks in her life and you could have taken very different different like avenues mm. and you chose this this path and I, you've inspired me to be a better person and I want you to inspire my lovely listeners that are, that are listening and watching this in the same way you've done to me. So okay. so who inspired you to become a therapist? And um and your work, the work you do, like what do you enjoy most about it? Okay, so we we'll start with the therapy. Um, do you know what? I, I feel like I fell into therapy. Um, I fell in love with it um, because I was mentoring in, in a school. I had been actually, I think we have to go back a little bit further. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's yeah, go, let's go back, back to the beginning. beginning. You said like, I was a mother, yeah? Yes. So Is that I, how, what you identify yourself as first, a mother? Yes. I, I definitely think that's when I first took and really embodied a role. Um, I had my daughter, my first daughter, I got pregnant at 17. I had her at 18 and I really do claim that 18. Like I just turned 18 before I had her. Um, to and just 18. Just turned 18. And I say it because at that time there was a lot of judgment because I think when you're young, there's a lot of expectations from people of who you'll become, what you would do. And I think for everyone, there was this element of Mitchell's going to do this, she's going to do that, she's going to be a lawyer. And uh, was that was that the path? Initially, yeah. Was that the path that you wanted to do, or the path that was bestowed upon you by your family and friends, and they thought you should do this? I think it was something I was interested in. I think I always had this element of like um, my my I lived with my nan for a while in the Caribbean, 
and so you were born born in London no I was born in Dominica born in Dominica I was born in Dominica came over here when I was like one lived with my mum here my mum had her own kind of challenges because she had me young Mm. and and I think there was a point where we went on holiday I thought oh my gosh we're on holiday and um we talked about this the other day actually me and my mum and I felt like I woke up one day thinking we're going to be going get ready to go home and she was like she was going home and I was staying and my mum is my first person to inspire me she showed me what love is unconditional love she um she's that route for me and when I was there I just thought oh maybe I wasn't good enough I think that's when I felt that like maybe I could have been a better daughter um and How old are you at this point? I must. I actually think I lost a bit of time. I must have been about eight. Also old enough to really understand. Yeah, under, yeah. like I was my mum's shadow. Like my mum couldn't even go to the toilet without me. Like we'd go places and she'd be like, "She want to go to the toilet," and I'd be like, "I'm coming." Like she couldn't go anywhere without me. So that was the first time I felt like um, really like, oh my gosh. So I lived with my nan for a while, um, and it wasn't the best experience, only just because of the things that happened out there. And, but my step-granddad, um, her husband, was, a, was studying to do law. And it interested me. I think I, I liked who he was and I was just like, oh, I want to be a lawyer. And my, my nan's other daughter was studying to be, a, wanting to be a doctor. So we were both like, one's going to be a doctor, one's going to be a lawyer. And, um, but I didn't stay. I think I must have stayed there for maybe about two years. I went to school there. And um, you just kind of feel like you don't belong. And I did feel like that. I think that I felt like I was a black sheep of the family um, just because my mum had me young. And I think you can see how everyone sees you. Um, they might not say it like to you, but the way people will treat you sometimes is like, okay, yeah, you, your mum had you young. Like, so I kind of got treated like the outcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Ogogo Fitness. Ogogo Fitness is my brand new fitness app I'll be launching really, really soon. I've created this app so I truly want to help people. I believe everybody should have the right to exercise and be fit and be healthy. I've brought this to the world to promote physical health and mental health. I've designed 60 preset seven minute workouts ranging in difficulty from round one which is pretty easy to round 12, which is really, really challenging. As well as that, I've got my personal workout builder. I've created 50 different exercises and you have the choice to create your own playlist from the 50 different workouts, which gives you an option of over 80 million combinations of workouts, 80 million. So from your GoGo Fitness app, you can literally choose for millions and millions and millions of workouts personalized for you and what you're training for. So head over to agogofitness.com, register your interest, and be the first to know when Agogo Fitness is launching. At such a young age, you felt like you're the black sheep. Yeah. Or is that something you can look back on now? You felt it at the time. No, I was. Yeah. I'm I, sure, but like you, you felt it. Like it wasn't. Yeah, I felt it. No, no, no. I felt it. I didn't feel everything. And I think my nan's got her own story and it's not that I don't, I'm not that I would never say I wasn't loved, but I was treated differently. Mm. I was treated like when people introduce you, this is my daughter's daughter. And you kind of just feel like they wanted more, maybe more for my mum. And um, I didn't know the story for why I was there either. 
Um, when I was there, I suffered abuse from someone from the church. Um, so I went through like my own kind of tribulations that like, like a, a child having to learn to navigate and protect myself. I didn't feel like I was protected. Without their mum as well. Yeah, without my mum. So when I came back here on holiday to visit my mum, I begged her. When there was a moment we got to stay together, I said, oh, please don't send me back. And she didn't. And she actually said to me, but I called you and I said, you want to come home? And I said to her, you asked me in front, I was on the phone, everyone was watching me. I've got to live with these people <laughs> and you're asking me, do I want to come home? Um, so yeah, um, that was one of my first kind of lessons in like how to protect myself and survive. Because um, you very much are a survivor. I could have, yeah. from the things that I know about you, I could have said, um, psychotherapist, mentor, life coach, survivor. Yeah. Because you always... No, I just spoke to somebody recently uh, and he was like, always, a boxing reference, always stay in the fight. Yeah. No matter how much you're getting bashed up, how much you're getting your head jabbed off or your tired, or your ribs broken, your jaws broken. Yeah. Always stay in the fight because it takes just one punch. Yeah. To win the fight. 100%. So when I came back, I lived with my mum and there was just this whole thing like, Mitch was a lovely girl, she should do really well. But um, I think no one really realised how much maybe I was suffering. Um going through, like, I didn't even realise I was suffering. I had been abused um, sexually um, and also the rejection and not being with my mum. There was a lot, like an eight-year-old, when you come back to here, 11, I must have been. I was kind of going through, and I don't think anyone really realised that I was going through things. Um, did your mum know about that stuff? I did tell her, but I think you just don't really know what to... I don't think, especially in those times, you don't really know how to... I don't think it was a thing how you support someone, especially if they're telling you they're okay. Um, and then they're trying to fit in into a different country, coming back here, going to school. Um, and you kind of put this mask on. Mm. And I kind of went through secondary school. I definitely believe I had like a bit of a mask on, um, trying to just navigate and survive it. Um, I, my first really high school boyfriend, we ended up having our first child together and... Was it all romance and love like you see in the movies? Or? No. At the beginning, it was. We were best friends um, and, yeah, we got together. But actually, no, when I look back at it, and I've told him this, actually, so I can say it like quite a thing. He used to think I was the girl that got away. I was the one that ran. I didn't know what love was. And I think at, when you're at 15, 16, you kind of think you know what love is, but you don't. Um, you have an idea. You learn love from everyone else. You haven't necessarily learned what love is to you. So um, we had, um, I got pregnant. I was so scared. I remember doing the pregnancy test and being like, I went to the cinema with my friends. And what I, did you watch? Do you remember? Uh, no, actually. Because I don't think I even watched the movie. I was sitting there with the pregnancy test thinking, okay, I'm going to go and do this pregnancy test. No one even knows I'm going to go and do this test. Um, I went and did it. It said negative. But I put it in the Sainsbury's bag. I remember very clearly. I wrapped it up in the Sainsbury's bag. And I thought, all right, I will dispose of it later. Put it in my bag. When it said negative, yeah, were you was it like, oh, yeah, for that. it was. That, that but really. something still didn't feel right, and I think that's why I kept it. So you're very intuitive, aren't you? Yeah, I have been always intuitive. Yeah, from a young age. So um, when um, I got home, went to bed, and in the morning, somebody said to me, "Go back and look in the bag." I looked in the bag, it said positive. Mm. So then I tried to hide it for ages. I, I didn't even want to do another test. I took a while to do another test. I did, said I was pregnant. Um, 
then I just pretended it wasn't happening. And when you hear those stories of people actually like blocking out, I literally was just pretending it wasn't happening. Yeah. I um, would go to work. I worked, in, I worked at French Connection at the time. And I remember they used to give us uniform. So I used always just change. When I used to change my uniform, I just used to get bigger sizes. So I'd just be going in, changing my uniform, saying, oh, my uniform, um, thanks for having my uniform, can I get a new uniform? And I'd just keep getting bigger sizes so that people wouldn't know my clothes didn't fit me. Um, and I don't remember how my mum, why my mum asked the question, but my mum asked me one day, are you pregnant? I think, I think her husband now actually might have mentioned something to her. And she came to me and asked me, am I pregnant? And I'm, I told her yes. Um, then she was like, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I actually don't want it. <laughs> I was actually like, I don't want to be a mom. I don't want, I'm 17. I just didn't know how to have the conversation. Um, and also I wasn't taught about like, there was a time when people just, you don't really talk, people would say they had the conversation about birds and the bees, but they don't really. And in school, you don't really learn anything. So um, I was actually due to have an abortion. Um, and cause I was so far gone, I had to stay overnight. Because of my age, they were allowing me to do like an overnight one. So I had to do an overnight stay. But the night before, we, my mum took me there. Um, I had a dream. I had a dream about her. I didn't even know I was having a girl, but I dreamt of this little ebony looking little girl standing on the cliff and with pigtails. And I was just like, I tried to erase the dream as well. So when we got to the place in the morning, I said, to, I walked off, I was saying bye to my mum and I walking up the stairs. I looked back, I said to her, I can't do it. I dreamt of her. And my mum was like, okay, let's go home. So we went home and at that point, I had a lot of like people now looking at me. So I was the little girl that everyone looked at like, okay, yeah, she's the daughter of the child. That, she's the daughter of someone that had a child young. Now I'm the mother of, I'm doing the exact same thing. So um, I kind of separated myself from a lot of people then. I like left school. Because like, you felt judged by people. I felt very judged. I dropped out of college because I was at college at the time. So I only did one year of college and I didn't finish college. Um, and I remember one time even going out with my mum one time, she, had a, she, she was at an event and she said to me, come with me. And I was like, all right. And I remember one of the women making such a rude comment to me. I remember looking at her and I gave her the dirtiest look. My mum was like, oh my God, if looks could kill Mitchell. She made a comment about me being like a young mum and just kind of, really, um, yeah, it made me feel really crap about myself in that moment. So I just told mum, look, I have to be careful when I'm around. So I really just isolated myself a little bit when I was pregnant. And I think that was one of the best things because I didn't want to be a stereotypical black young mum. And I could and I could see that's how people were going to see me. On a, being a man, yeah. uh, I want to understand that when you were pregnant, mm. when you spoke to uh, the... Uh, Reese's father. Yeah. Uh, what was <laughs> and when was when did you tell him on the journey when you had okay. hide it? So he didn't find out until I think just before after my mum found out actually. Mum was the first person to know. Yeah, my mum was I think my mum was the first person I told. Um and I remember telling him it was oh my gosh. So that we weren't in a good place. Um our relationship was really ending to be fair, before he even found out about Reese, um, He was going through his own stuff and being a young boy, had his glow up, doing the most. Um, I remember telling him, and maybe the way I told him actually, when I, no, when I look back at it, it wasn't the best way I did it. 
um, I was at his house. Him and his friends were trying to get me out of the house because they were trying to sneak another girl in the house. And um, I remember going down the stairs and just saying like, are you guys being for real? Um, is this what's going on right now? And I said to his friend, I said to him, do you know what, tell your friend that the reason why I even came here was to tell him that I was pregnant. And he was like, what? And then the friend was like, okay. So then his friend went upstairs and told him like, you need to actually go and speak to Mitchell. Um, and like, this was someone that I thought was like my best friend. Like we were, we'd known each other at primary school as well when I came back from the Caribbean. So um, we, um, he found out, he, he had the idea. I think he, he wanted to do, do it. He wanted to do the whole dad thing, but he had his own, he has, I will say that he has his own kind of um, stuff that he had to kind of mentally cope with and mental health is a thing. And he had his own things that he was kind of surviving and trying to work through for himself. Um, so he, he was, his life at the moment was trying to make quick money, fast money and how he was trying to be there for us. It didn't really work. Um, and I remember even one day my mum, after I gave birth to my daughter, police knocking on my door with like forensic suits. Um, and my mum was like, no, he does not live here because he gave my address because he didn't want them to go to his house. So my mum was like, no, he doesn't live here. This is where he lives. And I really do thank my mum for not letting me move out. Cause I remember I was like, oh, I should get a place. And he was like, she should get, you should get a place. Mum was like, no. And I can't thank her enough for not not letting me, not writing that letter for me and not saying she's kicking me out. Cause that's what everyone kind of did. Like you write letters for your kids and then you say they're kick, kicking them out. But I'm so grateful she never did that. She was like, no, you're living with me. You're staying here with me. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Do you think your mum wanted to help you raise Reese because she sent you to Dominica? No, I think she just wanted... For herself. Do you think she had to do it for herself? I think one of the things was my mum knew how she wasn't supported when she was pregnant. Gotcha. So my mum knew what that felt like. Yeah. So I think more so she wanted to just change my experience because of her experience. Um, so I think that's where that stem from of just like, no, you, we're not just kicking you out. We're not doing that. We're going to, do you know what I mean? You're going to go to, you're going to go to uni if that's what you want to do. You're going to do what you need to do for yourself. Um, when you're ready, when you're ready to move out, you can, but she could kind of see what my relationship looked like as well. And I think she just thought if I move out, I'll get lost. Um, and I have to say like, she saved my life on many occasions, literally. And that was one of them without even realizing, I think, that if I had moved out, I don't know what my life would have looked like right now. What's your mum's name? Hazel. Hazel, I'm yeah. going well. I'm <laughs> raising my bottle of Pellegrino sparkling water <laughs> for Hazel. Okay, so you give birth, I 18 birth. years old. Yeah. What does life look like for uh, a, a young black girl in London who's a mother at 18 years old, who didn't um, finish college, has got anything, any other qualifications other than a few GCSEs? What, 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 is, what are you going to do with your life? So I remember, because I wasn't even maternal. I've never been someone, because at 17, well, you, you do get some young people, I've heard them say they want to have kids. I was never someone that was like, I want to have kids. Um, that was never my thought process at that moment in my life, in that journey. So it wasn't like I knew 
how to feel. I just remember giving birth to Reese and just thinking, okay, how do I do this? What do I do? And I remember looking at her thinking like, oh my gosh, this is just so surreal and you've come out of me. And I remember just making this kind of pact with her, like my job, my job role was to kind of, I saw it as a job. I said, how do I do this? I'm going to look at it as a job and I'm going to do it in the sense of, I don't want you to be where I am at 18. I want you to be more than why, where I'm at. And it never made sense to me. But my mum used to say when I was younger, I say, I want to be like you, mum. I want to be just like you. And she'd say no, but she never explained it. And it wasn't until that moment I realised that as a parent, well, for me as a parent, it wasn't about my kids wanting to be me. It was about them being better than me. Um, and sometimes we push our children in the wrong ways because we want so much more for them. We don't necessarily explain why we want more for them. So... Um, Is that because they wouldn't understand? Have you got to go through these things to understand an explanation, if that makes sense? Um, I think it's just, like at that time, I didn't even understand it mm. fully. I understood that I just wanted to, I did not want her to be here. Mm. I wanted her to have the tools. I wanted her to be 18, like 20, and really just look at life and go and experience life. So that's how I kind of went into motherhood. I went into it like, okay, yes, I'm a mum. And at the time I didn't understand it, but I, I now understand my thought process. A lot of people will parent through their title. So like, I'm your mum, this is it. For me, it wasn't that, it was, okay, my role is your mum. So what is my, what's my job description? What is my, what does that look like being a mother? What are my, what are my goals for you, for me? How should I be? And um, that's how I went into motherhood. Um, and I've loved every minute of it. My girls are my blessing. I've got three and they're 21, 18, and going to be 17 in a couple of weeks. And Can you believe it? No, literally, even this morning. Why not? What's, what's unbelievable about it? Because people say to me all the time, like they're like, oh my God, Mitchell, you should write a book about it or how do you do it? I'm going to give you my kids when, um, when I have them. And I'm like, listen, like... I've only held maybe like six children in my whole life, <laughs> six babies, and three of them are mine. <laughs> I don't do, I don't hold babies. Um, and my kids will even say sometimes, I'm not a Florence Nightingale. Like when they used to cut themselves, we don't have no plasters in our house, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, what do you do? Um, yeah, it's like, no, like, come on, like, we're good. Um, <laughs> and plus, my youngest, every little thing, she needs a plaster. So I was like, no plasters in the house. Um, but just raising them hasn't been easy. And I think people look at it like it's easy. And the reason why it's not easy is because you have to look at yourself. And I think the way I had to look at it was like, I really had to find myself in order for them not to make my mistakes. Um, I made a lot. I'm, I'm not a perfect mother and there is no such thing. Um, sometimes when people look at me and they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, you don't know, like I've got a story. Um, like I remember um, me and my ex now, and my daughter's very aware of this story, um, but he was going through his, like we had broken up. He wasn't able to cope with it. And I remember that was a night I thought I was gonna die. He had lost it. And I've never seen someone, they say that when people see red. And I remember being in that moment of him seeing red and thinking, wow, how do I make sure she is safe in the flat before my mom comes in that house and I might not be here, which I've got to have to surrender to, but I need to make sure she's okay. I knew my mum was on her way home. I just didn't think she was going to make it in time for me. 
Um, you generally thought I generally thought we weren't going to be here anymore. No, when no, back. yeah, and and it wasn't because I'm not going to demonise him or say anything. I could, he had his mental. He had he had like he, there was an element of an attachment and. I think his cross wires of what he thought love was, and I think he thought because we had, he had lost me, it was just that element of control and um, not being able to manage his emotions. Um, not saying it's okay, but he did lose it in that moment, and um, there was no reasoning. You couldn't 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 even see how you even reason with someone that you couldn't you couldn't have a conversation with or anything. He his literal aim at that moment was just, he was hurting, but, um, and he took that hurt out on me. Um, so I just remember making sure she, she got to a safe space in the house. I took her to the furthest part of the house because my mum had these flats where these stairs, so by my bedroom was these stairs. So she come out of the room, she would have just potentially fallen down the stairs. So my aim was get her to my mum's room, put her far as possible in the house. So by the time she could crawl or get her way through, my mum, would be home. And she was obviously months old at this point. Yeah, she was. Um, no, she was one. No, just before she was one, she hadn't hit one yet. Crawling. Yeah, like she was crawling, like kind yeah. of toddling around, kind of walking. Um, and my mum, at the moment my mum came home, it was like he heard the lock and it's like he came back. And my mum, he ran, just ran out of the house, ran past my mum. My mum ran up the stairs and she didn't know what she was running up to. But um, again, that's why I say like, my mum's done so much for me and how she supported me. Like that woman, I remember her going to his family's house that day and saying to them, I'll go to prison for my daughter. I'll grow locks and I will go to prison if he ever touches my daughter again. Um, and so she's been like a real, like, my mum's such a softie. I feel like people can take the mick at, like, take, have taken a lot of advantage of her. But when it comes to me, there's an element of, there's this lioness there that, you know, when you see the lioness that will protect their young, my mum, that's my mum. So when I thought about parenting, one thing I knew I had to take from my mum was how she loved me. And um, that's what I did. So I just made sure I just gave love. My kids, like, even now they fight about who's the favourite. There is no favourite. They just can't believe that I don't have a favourite. I see them individually. But doing the journey of being a mum... Do they, sorry, do they all think they're the favourite? <laughs> do they, um, they all think... No, do you know does, what? Does I think my think oldest the... is the one that has this whole thing about favourites the most than the rest. Do you think that's because she has a different dad? Did you yeah, I think so. And I think when I met my second partner, um, there was an element of... And again, I was young and... Um, I was trying to create a family because I never, I didn't think I had one. My dad, I never lived with my dad. He, for me, he had a family in Manchester and I was just always like the person who'd come and visit every like few months. So I kind of just- you felt like the black sheep there also. Yeah. So you felt, okay. So for me- was, you're, you're, you're single, you're your mum's only child. child like, yeah. You're like the only child in trying to find a family. Yeah. More and, than just your mum. And I thought that maybe I was in this position because I didn't have a family. Now I realise that you know, when you're young, especially in those days, my mum was like a single, like a, they call it single mum, but I hate that terminology. I think it's just a parent that doesn't have a partner at the time. I don't think there's this whole thing about single parents. I do not like the terminology. Um, but my mum in those days was what everyone classified as a single mum. It was like, whoa, like, do you know what I mean? 
So um, I was just like, maybe that's why I ended up like this. Maybe I was missing out on something. So I really wanted to create what I never had. And that meant I kind of put up with a lot of crap in that process. I was in a relationship that um, I thought initially was good, but then you kind of, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned this definitely from this relationship. People will paint pictures. They will say the right things. They'll create a canvas with their words, but there's no actual, there's no actual action. There's no actual canvas being painted. It's just a lot of words that's been thrown and you're allowing your mind to create your own canvas, but that person never actually created the painting for you. They've just said the things that you wanted to hear. So, um... <laughs> that hits. Yeah, so, um, she... I don't... Yeah, he didn't... He didn't do great by her. Um, and she felt... She very felt much felt like... At the beginning, he was amazing with her, but then when he had his own kids with me, it kind of... You kind of saw that sometimes you could see she felt like she was kind of the... the the outcasts, um, and I was in my early 20s, um, not really even really knowing how to navigate, how to do this, um, thinking I'm doing it right because I've got, I'm with this partner, I've got, I've got, I'm with the guy, we've got kids together. Um, and so before there was more physical abuse, now I feel like I could look at it as more emotional abuse, um, a lot of manipulation sometimes in, um, and again, I can say that everyone's got their own burdens and cross to bears, and he has he had his as well. And again, we're young, um, and navigating through as well, maybe his thinking of like wanting to do better than he had um, just didn't work. And so for Reese, I definitely felt like there was elements of her feeling like she wasn't favoritized or she wasn't maybe seen as do you know what I mean it was always her young her middle sister or the youngest that maybe from his point of view gave her sure. stuff and then she had her own burden with her dad as well because she was still seeing her dad um tricky for the girl really tricky yeah it was it definitely was I've always been someone this is how, became, this is how okay. I became a therapist because I was in these relation I was in this relationship and even Reese's Dad, when I said I wanted to go and do my maths, reset my maths, she says, he was like, no, um, you can't, you need to stay at home. So even when I got my first job working in, for a company called the Winter Fellowship, he refused to help me. He wouldn't have her. He was like, no, you need to be at home. And I was like, what? Like, where did this come from? Where did this kind of personality of yours come from? Um, I wasn't there before. No, it wasn't. I never thought that he'd ever be someone that wasn't supportive. So my auntie... Um, that's because he was scared of losing you? 100%. And yeah. I think sometimes when you don't maybe see yourself doing much or not doing anything at this moment, watching someone else, you're scared that they might fly off and maybe yeah. go off and yeah. leave you behind. Which is uh, really possessive, isn't it? Yeah. Really negative, you know. It is. And um, so my auntie, I remember she had uni and stuff. So we created, I got this offer, this amazing job opportunity at like 19. Yeah, I just turned 19. Um, and... She actually was working for this company and they did like facilitating and they'd go to schools and work with young people. And she got paid like £80 an hour. And I was like, what? I want, can I do that? That's great now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I went for the job interview, but I didn't get the job. They then said to me, and I think it's because I look young at the time, they were looking at me like, 
You look like a child. Well, I genuinely think when I'm on Instagram, I'm thinking, is that you or your eldest daughter? I, yeah. I have no idea which one is which. This is it. So when people look at me, they're like, so especially then, I look like a baby myself. So when you're going to then facilitate, they're thinking, no one ain't going to listen to you. So they, but they offered me another job. They offered me a job in the actual building as a, like an education officer, like overseeing the programs. So I was like, that was like my first proper opportunity. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. So I've always had this element of work. I've always seen my mum work, my granddad as well. Like I've, I've just seen them work. So I was never someone that didn't want to work. I was on benefits for maybe only a little while not working. And I was just like, okay, no, I, I need to get a job. I need to yeah. find something. But also remember I've dropped out of college with no education. So any opportunity someone's throwing at me, I'm going to take it. Cause I'm like, okay, hold on. They want me and I'm a college school dropout. So, um, I took the job um, and then I met some amazing people along the way. Um, these two guys, actually, David and Martin, they were starting up their own business and working in schools and stuff. And they let me be a part of that, helping them set up initially. Like I go to meetings with them when they're talking about setting up their programs and stuff. So they really inspired me. And um, sometimes when you get inspiration is little seeds. And sometimes it's seeds that you just put in a little cupboard and you don't bring them out maybe to four or five years later. When you're ready. When you're ready, yeah. So it doesn't, you, you're inspired. And sometimes we feel like I'm inspired, I've got to act right now. But sometimes it's just maybe allow that yourself to just be inspired and sit with it. And when it's time, you will, you'll be able to plant that seed. Was that a thing you said to me this week? This week we had a chat on the phone about opportunity. Sometimes we're just quick to take everything, take any opportunity that comes. And I've learned along the way, actually, it's not every opportunity you must take. Um... And not everything's meant for you. Um, sometimes we want things based on just seeing what other people have. And actually, it's not necessarily a want we want. So when we then get it or it then comes to fruition, we're not happy. We don't feel fulfilled because it actually wasn't what we actually wanted. Or we wanted it, but the, our intention behind it maybe wasn't aligned with where we're meant to be going. Well, sometimes something may be meant for you, but not meant for you at this, at this moment. moment in your life. Yeah, 100%. Um, before you go back onto the story, I just you were talking and I just thought of something I remembered from three, two, three years ago when we started working together. On our very first phone call, uh, you called me because I called something like that. Yeah. And I was driving. I was actually in a bit of a, in the midst of my issue at the time. Yeah. And I was in a bad, not in a great place in my life. <laughs> and I feel so bad at this now. I feel so bad. But we spoke and we talked about 10 minutes and you're being great. We listened to me and I was kind of just venting and stuff and... The first time we ever spoke, and I said to you, How old are you? You sound really young. Remember, do you remember yeah, saying that? 100%. However, and you said to me, Your exact words were, Remember, you said to me, I think I said, I'm old enough. <laughs> you said, I'm older than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, okay. Yeah. Um, I said, Anyway, I just want to say, Yeah, no. like the whole, the age. Uh, no, I'm used to the ones. ages. I'm literally like, I get it all the time about my age. It's become something that I, just like have to just be like it is just what it is, and it's silly because like you can be you can be, I'm 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 a 33 year old man at the moment. I'm so immature. Like, <laughs> I can be so silly, but also I can also like show up and, and be a boss. And yeah, so it's straight when I've got when I've got to be there. It's like age is irrelevant. It's no, like, it is it's in, in up up or down. You know, low or high. Hundred percent. And it's been a thing. I think it's been a thing since I, I've really noticed it since having like my first daughter because I looked at how everyone saw me and my age. So. um yeah, so back on no, to that's the right. so I, I left, to become a therapist. I left that job, worked as a bit of admin for a salon for a while. Um, and then um, 
I've met my current part, my ex-partner, should I say, at the time, but he was current then. Um, his uncle offered me a job. He was working in the second, he was in a primary school. He was like a, he was support, he was like a behavior mentor in a primary school. He said, oh, they're looking for a netball coach. One, I think it was at a family event. And he was just talking, oh yeah, my school's looking for like a netball coach. And I remember just saying, I was not long in the family. And I was just like, I can do it. I played netball, I was really good. And he was like, do you have any qualifications? Me, no, but I'm good. <laughs> and he was like, all right, come. Um, and I said to him, look, I'm, I'm really sporty. I gave him my history of like being in the Guinness Book of Records and like all different oh, things I've done. Oh, so let's, let's rewind. Yeah. I have people on this podcast all the time. Yeah. Say, yeah, 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 yeah. And they throw, they throw massive bombs away. Yeah. You just now said, told your history about being in the Guinness Book, the Guinness Book of World yeah. Records. Let's just focus on that for a second, shall so we? So when we was younger, um, I used to, I was very sporty. So like netball and athletics were my thing. What was uh, your thing? What was your discipline? 100 metres. Mm. Yeah, so um, I was, I used to run for... So basically, playing like Kiss Chaser School, you got the boys. Yeah. Like, don't be mean <laughs> no, to Michelle Obama because she one, will get you. No, I'm the one that ran. Like, they don't want to ever caught me. I was yeah. the one that I didn't understand the game of Kiss Chase. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't understand the game of it. I'm like, okay, you've got to run. So I never really got kissed <laughs> in Kiss Chase. When you see your friends like acting like they're running and they're not like, why are you not really running? Like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm running. I'm not losing. <laughs> so um, I did the 100 meter. Um, I used to do the 100 meters. Um, and unfortunately, boys got involved and you kind of then, hormones, I kind of then kind of didn't, wasn't consistent with it. And my mum was really free spirited. So she just kind of let me stop doing things. If I didn't want to do it, she would like, fine. Um, and I think that was based on her stuff. So there was this element of maybe her letting me do too much of what I wanted to do and not maybe pushing me in certain ways because maybe she was too pushed when she was growing yeah. up. Yeah. So um, when I did the, we basically lived for Christy. He had a team he was training. So this is after he had done the world records and stuff like that. And he was training the girls group and we were, a, a hundred meter four by four relay team as well. And we beat his team that he had trained. Yeah, I've got this beautiful photo of it at home. Even with netball, I remember like being asked to join like Olympic team. Um, but I just wasn't consistent with it. I loved sports, but I just wasn't consistent. And even I remember when I got into boxing, um, even the guy was like, why don't you do white collar boxing? We could try and put you up. And I was like, no, I don't want my face to get beaten up and um, no. So I've never just, I've, there was all these limitations I set on myself. I was gonna say that. So growing yeah. up as a kid, obviously really talented, you obviously enjoyed it. You liked, you liked winning, like succeeding and stuff. I'm sure, presume you got, you got some intrinsic feeling from being yeah. successful in the sport. So what stopped you from thinking, hang on, I'm getting invited to go to the Netball Olympic team and I'm, I, I do it as a hobby. To, what stopped you from Pushing beyond that glass ceiling. Was there a glass ceiling above your head that you felt? Definitely, definitely. Who put it there? Um, me. Me. Um, obviously, like I mentioned. Didn't think you were good enough? Or? Didn't think I was good enough. And I also didn't want to be seen. So you have to remember, I was someone that had been abused. And then being, it's like people having their eyes on you. And you don't, like as a child, you kind of like sink into a shell where you just don't want because before that, I was so outgoing. Right. And even when I was doing the sports stuff, I loved it. But then I think when you reach certain heights, you don't want to be seen. So even like me talking here today is like, 
everyone's always for years been like, why don't you share your stories? Why don't you do this? And I've just always been like, when I'm ready, when I'm ready to share, I will share. But definitely then it was this feeling of not wanting to be seen. And I'm obviously I'd, yeah. I'd never be so ignorant to ask obviously yeah. what happened because I never would. But the incident that happened when you were like a kid, eight years yeah. old, changed your personality. Yeah, it you wanted to just blend in rather than yeah. stand out. Because I had to. Um, there was a point where I realised that um, what I had to do to just to protect myself, I took a lot of energy, and based on that. Um, I think after that, I was just depleted. I felt like, no, you know what? Don't be seen, just um, kind of stay in the shadow. So every time I got to any kind of real success, I would just kind of like allow distractions to come in. And was there like a, an element of maybe no one to stand out so it didn't happen again? Kind of um, thing? I just think I didn't want anyone to see what happened to me. I see. There's an element when you go through certain things like that, you kind of feel ashamed you feel embarrassed. Um, you wonder if you did something um, like you're a child, you, you're trying to make sense of something that does not make sense. And you're trying to make um, this reality keep you keep going. So, um, and because at church, I was someone that sang, I sang in the church. So I was like the, one of the leads in the choir. Um, so I was out there. So I, People saw me in church. Stood I stood out. So after that, you just kind of think, I don't want to stand out anymore. So every time they got to something where a success would come in, I would then bring this glass ceiling of like, no, I don't want to be seen. Let me let me go back into this little shell. Um, so yeah. So when I um, so when I took this job, so forwarding now to like 2004, I took this job. I've had two kids now at this point, um, and I remember even the girl's dad at that time was like you're going to go and work for two hours. And I was like, yeah, like, it's an opportunity. I'm going to go and do this. And even he was like, well, I'm not going to help you. And I was like, okay. But he did. I said, look, it's two hours of your time. And that's including my travel time. Do you know what I mean? I was getting paid like 20 pounds. But I was just like, I just want to do something. So I went and I was the netball coach. We won. I got the team. They got to the finals. Champion. And I was just like, I was really impressed with myself. And the head teacher put me on courses so I could actually be qualified as a level like coach. Um, and then she offered me a job at the end of, because I started that in February 2004. No, 2005. It was February 2005. In that July, at the end of that academic year, she offered me a job as a TA. And she said, oh, like, would you want to come and work with the kids? You're really good. And I was like, okay. Again, remember, I'm a whole college school dropout. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity. And I said to her, look, I only want to work three days a week. She said, yes. Um, so then I started earning like a nice little bit of a salary. Um, and yeah, life was okay. But what happened was I um, then got pregnant again. Um, and at that point, my last daughter, she she actually hid. I didn't know she was pregnant. for like, I didn't know I was pregnant for like six months. You just didn't know? Didn't know. I didn't show. And I show, but I didn't show. Um, I was going to the doctors. He had actually signed me off work, but I just didn't. I had even said I'm pregnant. He said no. So um, it wasn't until I got rushed to hospital because I was going out. Every time I felt a bit better, I'd be out that night even because I'm like, I ain't got work. You had no idea you could be pregnant? No, I had uh, no idea. How, wow. And me and my ex at the time, well, current partner then, he, we were going for a rough patch. We were actually on the verge of breaking up. Um, and then I got rushed to hospital, found out I was pregnant. 
And at that point it was like, well, I'm gone six months. Like I'm going to, I'm going to keep her. Um, and yeah, so we stayed together for a bit longer now because obviously we've got another child and sometimes kids can be seen as plasters in a relationship. Um, so I've got three kids. So I'm going to work in primary school and I'm coming home to like infants and kids and not you're still you're still a young woman yourself. Yeah, like I wasn't I must have been like 23, 24 at this point. And I became a mentor. My role was very admin and the kids would gravitate to me. So I oversaw work experience. So when the kids would come in and the way they'd get on the phone and ring employers, I was like, no way. Like, so I'd sit down and I'd just be like, this is how you need to ring, this is how you need to talk, this is what you have to do. And slowly, like even when I was working within that office, they didn't like me. They would actually ring each other and talk about me when I'm sitting there. Because you challenged them? Yeah. Not that like I challenged them. I... Wanted more for them? Wanted more for the kids. They were like older women. Um, yeah, very, they were much older than me. They're like 40, 50 years older than me. Um, and I'm this young person that's come in. I'm the only black woman as well in the room. And they just look at me like I'm this child and what do I know? Um, but my boss loved it. He was just like, Mitchell, come on. Like, you can do what you want. Make this job all yours. So one day a young girl came in and she had, um, she had come with cuts on her wrist. And um, I remember um, bandaging it up and doing first aid on it. And then I just sat with her and I said, look, um, that, that doesn't look like you just fell over. Like, what's happened? And then she just sat with me and talked to me and told me um, what she had done with some keys in the bathroom and stuff. And um, I went and got the safeguarding officer at the time. Um, then he said to me, do I want to be her key mentor? Because said, this girl hasn't opened up. They didn't even know she was going through half the things she was going through. And I was like, okay. And then I remember hearing this girl talk, one of the other staff members talking about a course. And she said that she was going to go on a listening course. And I was like, oh my God, like maybe I could do that. So I said to her, do you mind if I come along? And she's like, no, 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 fine, sign up. So I signed up. It turned out to be level two counselling course. Now, I never had a dream of being a counsellor. I used to watch Frasier when I was younger, my mom, because it's one of her favourite programmes. And it's just this white guy, like, from a very, like, rich kind of class. Do you know what I mean? Sitting mm. on couches and stuff. And I'm like, I never thought that could ever be me. Mm. Um, so even when I went and did the course, it wasn't to become a therapist. It was more just to get skills. So I just thought, I've got to make my CV look good. Got to make my CV look good. But then I fell in love with the course. I fell in love with learning about myself. And... The one thing the coach, the guy that was my tutor at the time, Tony, he, he said, some of you are going to lose relationships after this course. Some of you are going to, um, things are going to change for you. And some of you will come here every day saying, you're fine and everything's great. And you're going to realize it's not. And I was there sitting there, oh, my life's perfect. I'm fine. I'm great. Um, as I started doing the course, I realized that, oh my gosh, I've got so much stuff going on. Um, and... That began, the, that began the journey of my healing. Wow. For all that, just to kind of recap there, the one thing that I took away from that was how, and I know this anyway about you, you always back yourself. Mm. You want to be a netball coach? I can do it. Yeah. Not going to fight. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, do it. I'll give it that job. Yeah. You've got to back yourself. Yeah. Because like, I genuinely believe, if you don't believe in yourself, what, why is anybody else going to believe in you? 100%. 100%. 
100%. there's enough people on the planet trying to pull you down to elevate themselves, you've got to back yourself. Yeah. And you've got to believe in yourself. And just imagine where your life could be if at that family event that you just got the invite to, so we need a netball coach. If you'd have stayed in the corner and stayed yeah. in the shadow, shadow that you'd been in the last 15 years, that opportunity would have passed you by, yeah. where would you have been? Like, 100%. you know, right? That one backing yourself, being a netball coach, led to you being here on this podcast. 100%. <laughs> imagine, 100%, 100%. So, um, and it was when I did my timeline and I looked at, like, because I used to swear disgustingly. The way I used to swear, people, everyone does that. See that look you just gave? That's what people do when I tell people I used to swear. So you say flip all the time. You say flip quite a flip. Yeah. Blooming. Yeah. But I used to swear like a lot more, like even if I'm laughing, I'm swearing. So um, when I did the timeline, I worked out where I first swore. And it was when I first, I was like nine years old um, or eight years old in the Caribbean. And I faced my abuse. And I said to him, if you touch me again, I'm going to tell and I'm going to let everyone know what you've done to me. Um, and it, it took me to have that courage to face this big person, this adult. Um, because I knew that this wasn't okay what was happening. It was happening to loads of kids. It wasn't just happening to me. It was happening to a group of kids. A lot of parents would let their kids go with him because he was from the church and he would take us out. So I remember one day when he tried to, we were sit, it was somewhere and he was going to try and like do the act. And I was like, if you touch me, this is what's going to happen. And I just remember being like a child and I don't know where that strength came from, where that even voice came from. And then later on, it wasn't happening to me anymore, but it was still happening to my auntie, um, who was like my age. And I remember going into town one day and saying to him in the middle of like the bus station, just swearing. I said, if, like, I just went on at him and I was like, I'm gonna get my granddad's gun, I'm gonna do this. And I just remember, cause my granddad was a police officer at the time, my step granddad. Um, so that's when um, I realized I started to swear. I look back at my time, like I had to look at like where things... They didn't happen to this man, by the way. Yes. Do you know what? Years later, they literally, I think they, he got, he could get, he got beaten and stuff. I know he's still around in town and stuff, but everyone very much knows what he, he does. And like in the Caribbean, unfortunately, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of this stuff that happens and it's just not really spoken about. And it's just like a generational thing that then just keeps um, coming down through families. Um, so... When I learned how, because even at the time, my, the girl's dad at the time said, you swear so much. I was like, no, I don't. And even my kids, um, when I look back at it, my daughter's first word, the youngest, was a swear word. One of her first words was a swear word. So like, if I would no, drop you, something. You can't, you can't say that. And no, I can't. me to ask, what was it? Okay, Which so one? Like, let's say word. if I drop. Please say, be the C word. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. <laughs> it was like, um, if I drop something, I would drop up. I'd be like, oh shit. So I would do stuff like that. So one day she was walking around in the front room. She dropped something. So her first, one of her first words, I said mom and stuff, but one of the first clear words that also she said was, oh shit, as she peeked down and bent down. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I do swear a lot, but <laughs> I still didn't because... understand it. So we did so much work on me trying like swear jars, all this stuff. But it was when I started the counseling course, when I started to really work out where the root of it came from. And um, so again, I didn't, I continued, I finished the first course, I loved it. Um, I remember even driving up one day to see my tutor, crying all the way up to this, the session. I just left the house and I just wasn't happy. Um, and I got into class, wiped off the face, just was like, yeah, everything's fine. This is really good. And he's looking at me. And it wasn't until later I remembered, that's exactly what he said people would do. 
they're going to come and make it like everything's great and it's not. So that's when I had to start like really like embedding what I was studying. And um, so I used the counselling course. I went on to the level three. Um, the level three was, I failed the first one because I chose not to hand my folder in because I just didn't think I it was good enough. And I remember going to my tutor and saying to him, I've got this folder, but I don't think it's good enough. I've gone through a lot this year and it doesn't represent like maybe what I should have learned and what I can learn. So then he, that's when he first said to me, this is what's going to make you a great counsellor. And I was like, what? He goes, this is why you're going to be great. And I was like, me? And I was like, I'm not trying to be a therapist. <laughs> but he was like, no, like you're that awareness of like for yourself. So I redid the year again. You talk about your struggles. You talk about things you found you found and find difficult a lot. And I think that goes back to what you said at the beginning about growth. Yeah. You understand it not as a as a bad thing. You yeah. understand it as, yeah, I struggled here, but now I can do it. Look how much yeah. I've grown. Exactly. And that's a lot of people, especially in your industry, yeah. you know this, you know that I know this. A lot of people in your industry, ego fucking maniacs. Yeah. And they, they can never be wrong. No. They never struggle. They exactly. want to present they want to preserve uh, present this this really well put together like figure Image, which yeah. which is amazing but no 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 we're all we're, 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 all, we're, we're all fallible yeah we all have bad things about us it's about the ones that can understand that and want to be better than we were yesterday 100% sorry to no 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 like literally that was perfect what you just said and um, so that's where I um, I then went on to level four and the other stages and then from that stage you have to have therapy when you got to a certain stage then now it's like compulsory you need to have therapy and I'd mm. never had therapy before and I come from a Caribbean culture people don't chat you don't chat your business you don't chat to anyone um, like be seen and not heard like that's that was I remember growing up with my nan and that's kind of like shush like yeah. so when I went and had my first therapy session I remember sitting there thinking what the hell like I've got to talk to this woman about my business. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with... In, sharing? Sharing, yeah. yeah. Talking about myself and just talking about um, having a space where no one puts their judgments. No one adds their advice. Because when I... People will give you advice. People aren't, don't actually listen to you. A lot of the time people are listening to you. They're thinking about themselves and how that might, um, might be similar to something they've been through. And then you're listening to people and you're taking information from people that some of them are carrying on like they live in glass houses and they don't. Um, some of them are acting like their life's perfect and you're taking advice from people that have got their own crap. And actually the person that can really help you is you, but you need to be able to listen to yourself. And that's for me, that's what therapy is supposed to do. It's supposed to give you a space where you can hear yourself, mm. understand what's going on for yourself and learn yourself. And in that space, like I'm a big person about the energy in the universe and um, a lot of my manifesting happened in that space because I also talk about things I wanted. I really owned what I wanted for myself in that space, in those moments in time. Um, and things just then progressed um, for me. When I sat in that space, I was like, I now know what it's like to sit in this seat. Now I feel like I could be the other person on the other side. I think that's when I really thought maybe I could be a therapist. Took you to get to that point. It took me to that, to that point because then I realised I understand how hard it was for me how hard it's been for me over the years to get up. When you go through things, sometimes people just think, oh yeah, just get up, keep going, keep going. But what it takes to get up when you're going through something, I don't think a lot of people sometimes understand for that person, maybe how it might have, how they might have woke up that morning, how much they've had to push themselves out of bed. Yeah. And for me, it was like, I understood 
what it's like to keep going no matter what's going on. And I wanted to provide a space for people where they could stop and they could just have space. So um, that's where the journey of therapy initially started. And then I became a therapist. Um, I learned a lot about myself. The first year I had clients without even having to um, even say anything. People just heard I was a therapist and they were like, bang, Mitchell, I know someone you can work with. I know, and I was like, wow. I did like a first year of working with people, but then I realized I wasn't necessarily ready yet. In what respect? Not really. Because at that point, remember my tutor said, some of your relationships will break down. Once I qualified, my relationship broke down. Because you're now, you're now aware of things. I'm now aware that I wasn't happy. I'm now owning. No, I was aware. I knew I wasn't happy, but I was owning that I wasn't Taking happy. Taking the mask off. I took the mask off. I stopped playing the, the wife, the, the, the wifey, the kid, the mum at home role. And um, you realised maybe that the glass ceiling was gone. And please tell me, I'm yeah. not a therapist. I feel like I'm missing now. <laughs> but tell me if I'm wrong. But maybe you you did this. You 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 pushed yourself through these counselling courses and, and the qualifications in that glass ceiling that you put above your head, very very shallow. That's yeah. now gone. Yeah. Now you realise you're more than you're more than the wife. You're more than just the mum. You can do anything you want to do. Didn't necessarily know that bit yet, but the glass ceiling rose. Okay, it wasn't so smashed, but it, it got elevated. It, yeah, it got elevated. Okay. Like, there were still limitations. But, um, so I even ended up teaching therapy. My One of my tutors was like, Mitchell, come teach. And I was like, me teach? And she's like, yeah. And I think people always saw things in me that maybe I wasn't ready to see. I remember mm. teaching it and I, I only did it for one year and I quit. I was like, no, it's not for me. And I appreciated the fact that someone could see that, for, see that I had that potential but it's not something I wanted to do. Um, it was a lot. And then I decided at that point, I just wanted to focus on me and the girls um, because we had, I, me and my ex had broken up and um, I thought to myself, I don't want them to be with men like their fathers. Yeah. Um, and I kind of also adapted, like my dad isn't nothing like, he is like them, but there's elements, but... My dad also also showed up for me all the time if I really did need it. So I just, oh, yeah. I was just, you said something then, you said, you said something like, somebody else believed in you and they gave you yeah. power. And there's an amazing quote, never underestimate the power you give someone yeah. by believing in them. 100%. And that is like, because sometimes we do struggle and we, like you mentioned a minute ago, we get knocked down and it's hard to get back up, yeah. but we don't get back up straight away. And sometimes the, the, the goal, when I do like my, my talks, my public speaking, I always talk about unwavering self-belief. Yeah. Like unwavering self-belief, no matter what you're going through, you've got to believe in yourself. Yeah. And you haven't got to believe in yourself. It's hard to get to that level of unwavering self-belief. And yeah. sometimes you need other people to believe in you so you can believe in yourself. And that's the thing. Unfortunately, we have default mechanisms as well that we focus on the things that people, the bad things people say to us. So we don't necessarily hone in on those. We have moments of taking in like, it's like a seep of water, like, trickles of water people believe in you but sometimes we focus on the things that people have said that are negative about you more that holds a lot more power and weight for some reason so I have I've I have had and I'm very blessed to say I've had a lot of people along the way that when I look back have really I'm here not because just of me I'm here because of other people that have nurtured me that have poured into me and um I'm very grateful for that um, it takes a village to raise a child 100 percent 100 percent and um so when I decided, I said, I remember sitting with the girls, I remember telling them that me and their dad had broken up. And this is when like, you know, when you're, I've been studying this stuff and now I'm like, wow, I'm seeing it in full effect. 
my middle daughter, who was our first daughter together, and she was a daddy's girl, big time daddy's girl. Like, I was even worried that she might want to go and live with him. <laughs> I was like, my child might not even want to live with me. Um, but I said to her, like, me and dad, because he had come home really late one night, the next day, actually, swanned in, and I just thought, this is not okay. Um, we've broken up. We haven't told the girls. For some reason, you didn't want to tell the girls, but I'm not making my kids think that this is okay. So I said to him, look, your dad come home this time, but we're not together. I just let them know, like, um, we both loved them. And I remember my middle daughter saying, you go, girl. I was like, what? <laughs> I remember driving and I had to park up. I said, what do you mean? And she was like, he wasn't happy. And this is like an eight-year-old looking at me wow. and telling me I wasn't happy. She could go intuition. Yeah, she was like, you wasn't happy. And she goes, I love my dad, but he didn't treat you right. So I'm happy for you. Kids are seeing stuff. They kids, see stuff. And I think parents think that they're protecting their kids from a lot. And you think that your kids aren't seeing, they're having to make sense of your nonsense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that's where it gets really muddled up. Because imagine you're living this life that's, not your greatest and your kids having to make that nonsense look, make sense. So that's where I was like, wow. So I just said, decided, look, I'm going to focus on them. I'm going to make sure that they don't make the similar mistakes. Cause I remember my job packed for Reese when she was little was how do I give you the tools? So now I'm starting to learn certain tools. I need to make sure my kids like I've worked, I'm working in schools, being a mentor and I'm working with people's kids that are like, good jobs and I'm like raw like your social workers you're this you're that some of these kids just as other kids that maybe don't have as much but your kids are really you're helping everyone else's children but you're not helping yours because you just have this entitlement to think that your kid is good because you know yeah. but maybe just because you know doesn't mean that you're necessarily mirroring and how you're mirroring at home is like you should just know better and that's not really that's not really great for the children of parents that have got these helping roles. Mm. So I just said, look, I've got to make sure I work on myself and I work on the girl. So we spent, spent about four years, even though I qualified not training as a therapist, I literally just focused on the girls. Um, I had business ideas. I'd always had like things I was doing, but just never really pushed it again. Cause you know, when I don't want to be in the limelight, when things maybe seem like they're becoming a bit too successful for me, I stop. And I think maybe even that's why I stopped with the therapy straight away as well. Um, but, then in 2018, I was, no, before that, I moved around in jobs a little bit because again, I didn't have, I, even though I qualify as a therapist now, I'm not necessarily owning that I've got this qualification. Like I've spent four or five years studying. I'm not necessarily letting that embody me yet. Um, so I've taken another job. Um, and then my old boss called me and said to me, look, Mitchell, I want you to come work for me. He's now a head teacher and um, told me to apply for the job. I was like, okay, what do you want the job to be? Da, 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 da. I never got the job. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, like, I thought this job was mine. But um, he then, I didn't get it. But what he did was he fired me to win and I wanted to find something different. Yeah, fired you up. Yeah, he fired me up. Lit a candle under your ass. Yeah. So I started applying for jobs. I got, I applied for one job. I didn't even know what the job was. It was said outreach mentor and I had no idea, but let me go for it. Um, I also applied for my last secondary school. And the, the school I went to, the first school that came back to me was the outreach mentor. And initially I wanted the, my old secondary school. 
um, out of the two jobs. So that's what I was like, oh my God, holy family, I'm going to go work there. I'm going to work at the school I used to be at. And like, um, but then the other school got back to me first, gave me an interview. I went and remember I do interviews really bad, but for some reason I wasn't nervous. I sat. What, why, why, why are you not a very good interviewer? Because I stutter. Like, like this now is a lot of prep, right? But I'm not stuttering crazily. I've slowed down a lot more with my talking. I've had to work on like this element of me. Um, so remember, I'm like, at the time, I'm still in my 20s, um, still trying to figure out that I'm more than I should. I, I've been allowing myself to believe. So then you're sitting with these people that have these big titles and stuff like that. Like, how good am I? Overlawed by the opportunity. And yeah. I left the job and I wasn't really bothered about that job at the time as well. So I think that's why maybe I did a quite, a, I might have done a quite a good interview. More relaxed. I was more relaxed. But actually when I went into the place, I remember them putting me in rooms and telling me to lock the doors. And I'm like, why do you have to lock the doors in school? And they're like, lock the doors, don't let any kids come in. And I'm like, and then I'm hearing kids running around and I was like, what the hell, where am I? And um, so they rang me straight away afterwards and hit me, they offered me the job. So I was like, okay. Didn't even know if I necessarily wanted it. But I said, to the, I remember when the head teacher, the executive at the time, he called me and he said to me, you can have the job. Um, I said to him, I thought, let me be a bit cheeky. I said to him, um, on a Friday, I need to leave at this time because my doors go drama. And he was like, no problem. I'll just get your work done and you're finished. That's fine. I thought, okay. So I did, I accepted the job. Then my old school messaged me, offering me an interview. And I was thinking, should I go for the interview? And I was like, no, do you know what? I've committed to this. I've said yes to this. Thank you, but no thank you. And they said, oh, our loss is their gain because they just looked at my CV and obviously I've got this, I created a golden CV mm. over the years. Um, so, um, and the only thing I've got on there is like a few little GCSEs I had. I didn't even have my maths yet. Um, and my the diploma now, now I've got this diploma, the counselling thing. So, um, I remember starting this job and that job also changed my life. Like the people I've met across the way there, um, the friendships, this is when I've like met people now that are seeing me now, not the Mitchell before that was with, that had been through so much adversity, yeah. that had been through all that kind of stuff. These people were just seeing Mitchell and some of them didn't even know I was with someone at the time because I was still with the girl's dad. But then we broke up that year and my life just changed literally. Um, and I really enjoy going to work. I, I really like, I remember because I was 20, I started that job at 30. Me and my ex broke up when I was 30. And I remember saying, I cannot spend this decade like I spent my 20s. I cannot spend my 30s in the same kind of like unhappiness, pretending um, I need a different kind of next decade. And this is actually quite telling as I'm here because I'm about to hit 40 <laughs> and I'm about to start my new decade again this year. And I'm like, yeah, like I had a great 30s. I've learned so much, but this one is going to have to level up with another. Like I'm going to level up differently for my 40s. So um, the 30s was about me find, really finding myself and really learning. Have you done that? Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. Like I think you are never going to stop learning about who you are because things change. You change every day. Um, you're not the same person. was 29. You were leaving her 20s. Yeah. If she could see you now, yeah. 39, how proud is she? She would be in shock. She, her mouth would be open. 
didn't think she could do it. No, it's not that I didn't think. Cause when I was younger, I remember the twenty-nine-year-old didn't didn't think that she could become what you are now. No, like yeah. an entrepreneur. So you now know you could have done it, but back then you couldn't. You yeah, had a whole mind shift. Hundred percent. Like um, it was when I was thirty. So in two thousand eighteen, I came across a few different people as well, and two of them said to me. I was going to quit working in schools. I was going to quit working with young people. I said, the money's not here. And it's not that it was about money, but I'm like, me and my kids are like, I'm just about paying the rent. I'm just about affording life. And I'm drained. I'm tired. Um, I'm not feeling valued. I'm going into these schools and I'm changing things and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm not necessarily being valued and financially for it. So um, I am... Um, you get to some point in life, I like... You can do something because you love doing it. Yeah. But at some point, I was a boxer for my entire, for my entire life, mm. up until I was 30, and up until I was 23, the Olympic Games, I went to Olympic Games, I was on a grand a month yeah. in the GB squad. And I got to a level where, like, if I want to live the life I want to live, you've got to earn money. Yeah. And ultimately, that's literally a, a fact of life. Yeah. You know, and you get to put in your life where you need to earn money. Yeah. This is your point. This was my point. I had three... Daughters, I was kind of raised. I was do, I was raising by myself. I've, I've raised them by myself anyway. So, and it was like I wanted more for them. Um, like they were having hand me downs sometimes from some of my friends with the clothes, and it was like I wasn't necessarily able to like buy them the the latest trainers. And my youngest was always having her sisters hand me downs. Mm. Um, I was in so much rent arrears, like it was not even a joke. Um, so. I was just like, I need to do something different. I remember in 2018, Christmas, sitting in my room, like looking for different jobs. My cousin was there as well. And we were both just like trying to see what we could do. And I was going to go into like marketing or something like that. I was really going to just change career. And then one person, um, actually his name's Kojo. He remember him saying to me, I was trying to, he said to me, just do what you love. Do what you love and everything will come. I'm like, but I've been doing it. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've been doing what I love. And nothing's coming. I'm sitting, but also he didn't know where my situation was. And then another guy called Chris Preddy. Another but you weren't mine, doing what you loved, were you? You weren't. I was doing what I loved, but I was doing it as on someone else's um, at someone else's structure through somehow someone else wanted me to do it. I was going to schools and working with each other, but how pe other people told me I have to work with them, not the way I wanted to work with them. Um, and fully, I hadn't realised what I loved yet. Fully, I knew I loved supporting people but I was supporting people based on how other people told me to support me. So literally, um, there's a guy called Chris Preddy. I remember him telling me, why are you waiting until January to start sorting out your life? Start doing it now, December. Like everyone waits till the, like, let's see, start planting some of your seeds now. Then my business partner called, my business partner now called me at the time. We worked together at, um, at the Pru and we had done loads of stuff like with mentoring and we had really created like a really good mentoring kind of stuff within the Pru. Um, and he said to me, let's start our own business. And I was like, really? You want to do a business with me? And he was like, yeah, let's do a business. And I was like, um, okay. And then I told him my situation. I said to him, look, um, if we're going to start a business, I'm in a bit of debt. Um, I've got this situation. He was like, Mitchell, it's cool. We'll work it out. So um, two weeks later, I then got a call from the housing telling me they were taking me to court and I was going to be evicted. And I was like, oh, I'm just uh. trying to sort everything out. You know, and you're just like, yeah, you're trying your best. You're, you're trying, trying your best, best. and it's just like, bang. Again. Yeah. Like, what? Why? But I'm so glad for that, that phone call because everything needed to collapse at that moment for me to then rebuild the foundation. Yeah. And then I just started building. I started working differently. We was working seven days a week. We were running, we were starting to start this business, working seven days a week, five days at the 
through. Then also in the evenings, trying to do the most um, to create this company. And even when we first started it, where, we're at, where we are at now is completely, I would never have seen it. And I think that's one of the most important things about journeys is not necessarily trying to plan the journey because some of the most greatest things are things that we didn't even expect to happen. Um, yeah. We And then I started the private practice again. I started working with clients one-to-one -one as well. And like, I don't even advertise and I've got clients, I have waiting lists. And it's like, wow, like, it, remember that couple I said about the seeds? Yeah. And the inspiration? I started just taking them out and just started to plant them as the, within the last four years. So where I am now is I was someone that was on a salary of maybe like 14 to 1500 pound a month to now someone that's earning like triple, like more than triple that. Like I remember when I made my first five, first 5K and I was like, oh my gosh. And that was a goal. And then it was like, okay, my, my goal is 7K. Oh my gosh, I've done that. Like I've created like this by actioning and doing and taking away the limitations. So remember I said to my, my glass ceiling, I no longer have a glass ceiling. Um, Smashed through that long time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's now the last four Fuck years. Fuck glass ceilings. I yeah. hate glass ceilings. The yeah. limitations we put on ourselves or we 100%. allow other people to put 100%. on us. No, 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 no. 100%. The amount of times I was told, boxer, yeah. house full of women, mum, four sisters, you box, your dad doesn't box. They even know your dad. Yeah. Your granddad didn't box. Like boxing, you come from your little small town. Boxing, really. Olympics, pff, you know, work hard at school just in case. Fuck you just in case. I mean, I did work hard in school because I used to work hard, but like who... Is anybody to tell me what I can and can't do? 100%. Who can? No, no, no. no, no. They just uh, annoys me. So yeah. I'm so glad you smashed through that glass ceiling. Yeah. I'm so glad. And I think one of the main things that helped me smash through the glass ceiling is um, I had to heal. And I think that people are scared to heal because they have to hurt. To heal, you have look to at hurt. Themselves. You've got to find yourself. You've got to face yourself. And it's not about what other people have done to you. It's looking at taking accountability as well. Like I put myself in a lot of the situations I was in. So I could sit here and say, this person did this to me and that. But actually I chose also to be there. I chose to play certain roles within that situation. And I had to also forgive myself. So it's not even necessarily about forgiving others, it's about forgiving myself and allowing myself to feel the pain, feel the hurt and like supporting myself through that. And that's how I just went on this really rampage of like, like, I don't want to sit with anyone and know that I'm not, I haven't worked on myself or not working on myself. And that's when things just then just started to blow up for us as a company, as individually. Um, the girls, like, when you see my girls, like, they're people I would have wanted to be my friends in school. Uh. That's, they're the kind of humans that they are. Like, they, the way they come to me, and I even asked my daughter today, I said to her, if I wasn't here, let's say I like I'm no longer here and, what would be one thing you'd take away? What would be one thing you'd mem remember me by? And she goes, the fact that I could always come and speak to you. And um, the fact that you were just always there. And for me, that was just, that was a lot because they, they don't realise like how much they saved me. I don't necessarily think that I would even be half the person I am if it wasn't for them. Um, I've learned so much from them that it's a joke. Like... <laughs> Part of like when I'm talking to people and people are like, oh, I kind of got that watching my kids. Like the way I parent, the way I support other parents, I wouldn't be able to support them if I wasn't, hadn't had my kids go through this with me, allow me to make my mistakes, allow me to own them, allow me to take that accountability. So yeah, that's kind of me. You're, you've got a story of struggle and setback. 
and you've turned setbacks and adversity into the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I'm so proud to to have you here. Thank you. And, and thanks for coming on the podcast today. We're going to leave it there, but you are 100%. A million percent, you're going to come back on. Okay. You're going to ask these questions. And okay. I'm going to give you opportunities to sell yourself even more. With that being said, where can people find you? Okay, so um, I have the CIC, which is like a community interest company called Jigsaw Get Connected, where we support young people and families. Um, and you can find that online, www.jigsaw-gc.com. Um, also, REM Wellbeing, which is my private practice. Which R-E-M, is where, REM, REM Yeah, REM, which means reflective, reflection, empathy, moving forward. And it also is my girl's name. So, sure. Reese Elise Morell. Um, and it's about remwellbeing.com. You can find me on over those platforms and me, I'll be in touch. Whew. Mitchell Greenaway, thank you so much for sharing your powerful, powerful story. I had tingles so many times through that conversation. Some things really stuck with me. And for me, it was the sexual abuse she suffered as a kid. How she was so loud and wanted to be seen as a child singing in the choir and then it happened to her, so she took a, a back seat in her life and she wanted to be quiet and, and unseen. That's heartbreaking. No child should have to go through that. Um, absolutely heartbreaking. I'm just so proud of her that she's she's turned her life around and she's she's creating an empire for her and her three beautiful, lovely girls. So proud of her. And Mitchell is definitely somebody that's going to come back on the podcast. I see Mitchell coming back and doing, having sessions, having, having almost like a live therapy session where we talk about relationships and this and that. And the listeners can, yeah, get a free therapy session and learn from, from the conversations that we have. So when Mitchell comes back on, I'll let you know on my social media. And if there are any questions you want to ask, then please reach out and ask me the questions and I'll ask Mitchell the questions. Um, she's a hero. What a lovely, inspiring, powerful woman. Um, I'm very, very grateful that she spent her time talking to me on the Getting Back Up podcast. Thank you, Mitchell. Next week, we have a legend. Now, I say the word legend quite a lot. I like saying legend. It's easy to say. It's fun to say. And I think everyone the legends. But when I say legend, this man is every ounce a legend Brian O'Driscoll B.O.D. one of the greatest rugby players to have ever played the game joins us next week on Getting Back Up we talk about everything growing up parents are doctors growing up to becoming B.O.D. his debut the ups the downs being a, a Lions captain going on four tours and the one tour he won the one tour the Lions won, he didn't play in the winner match. We talk about that spear tackle heard around the world. Brian O'Driscoll is a hero, a legend to so many. Please join in next week to hear him talk about playing, 
having to retire, struggling with identity, talking about one of his best friends taking his own life. Brian O'Driscoll is a hero, as I've said, and you're going to love the chat. So please join in next week. Now, if you know someone with an unbelievably inspiring story that deserve to come on the podcast and share their story to help others, then please reach out to me on Instagram at Anthony Ogogo and at Get Back Up Pod and on TikTok at Anthony Ogogo. Remember, the great Nelson Mandela once said, do not judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Always get back up. Always stay in the fight. And I'll see you next week.